0: This is Make It OK Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Iowa Healthy Estate Initiative. Make It OK is a community campaign to reduce stigma by starting conversations and increasing understanding about mental illness. In this podcast, you'll hear from Iowans who want to share their personal stories of living with mental illness in an effort to reduce stigma for others. This episode features Carla, a freelance writer and foodie who has overcome anorexia and depression. Before we hear from Carla, we'd like to take a moment to thank Business Solver for supporting this podcast. Since 1998, Business Solver has delivered market-changing benefits technology and services supported by an intrinsic responsiveness to client needs. The company creates client programs that maximize benefits program investment, minimize risk exposure, and engage employees with easy-to-use solutions and communication tools to assist them in making wise and cost-efficient benefits selections. Founded by HR professionals, Business Solver's unwavering service-oriented culture and secure SaaS platform provide measurable success in its mission to provide complete client delight. Learn more and download a suite of free resources to assist you in promoting mental health in the workplace at businesssolver.com. Thank you, Business Solver. Now it's time to hear from Carla. Content warning, this story discusses an eating disorder. Hi, I'm Carla
1: Walsh, a 33-year-old freelance writer and editor based in Des Moines, Iowa. Even though it was 17 years ago, I remember what life was like at my lowest weight, 94 pounds, quite vividly. That's because every 24-hour day felt like about 124 hours. I was living, that's actually a very generous way to put it, I was surviving to make it to the pillow at night. I'd wake up to my alarm to get ready for school, and I would spend the next 14 hours shivering and snapping at others. From that moment on, it would almost be a challenge to see how long I could wait to eat breakfast, how little I could eat the rest of the day, and how much I could sneak around and act normal, quote unquote, so my uber low calorie and eating rituals wouldn't be too weird for anybody else. I was actually quite open publicly about the fact that I had been diagnosed with anorexia by my doctor at 16. It's not like I could really easily hide the fact that I had faded away from 180 pounds to 94 in just 12 months. My health kick started quite innocently and honestly healthfully at first. Five days a week, I'd hop on the elliptical for 30 minutes after school. For dinner, I'd choose grilled chicken and a baked potato instead of breaded chicken fingers and french fries, which were my jam at the time. At some point, the competitive and type A side of me took the reins. The, you look so great, comments when I reached 120 pounds spurred me on to believe that I might as well keep going, keep shrinking, and eventually I might as well keep starving. Around the time my period went MIA, any hint of emotion seemed to disappear as well. The best way to describe it is that I just felt flat. I rarely cried and never felt suicidal, but I was essentially completely devoid of emotion. I'd hear my mom crying in another room at home and know that I was the reason why, yet I couldn't seem to feel all that sad about what I was doing to myself. I felt remorseful that I was putting her and my dad through this pain, watching their daughter slowly shrink away. So that's why I finally decided to take them up on their suggestion to begin meeting with a psychiatrist once a week. I'd been avoiding it so far, fearful of how much it would cost them or that seeing a mental health professional was something only people with real struggles should do. In the eternal chicken and egg debate, it's tough to say whether the depression may have contributed to the eating disorder or the eating disorder impacted my brain chemistry so much that it contributed to depression. Regardless, my treatment began and it involved tackling both the eating disorder itself as well as the mental health challenges all at once. My outpatient treatment team at the time included my family doctor, A dietitian and my psychiatrist, who collaborated to put me on a multi-pronged treatment plan, including bed rest, so my low blood pressure wouldn't lead to a heart attack, which was a serious risk at the time. A calorie rich diet, which in full disclosure, I certainly didn't always follow, especially in the first few months, even though I knew what they were telling me to do was best for me. Cognitive behavioral therapy, sometimes referred to as CBT, a prescription to help me sleep as my bony body would ache at night. I'd seriously need to slip a pillow between my knees so they wouldn't knock together. And a prescription selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor or SSRI, which is the most common class of antidepressant that results in more serotonin, a key happiness and mood stabilizing hormone coursing through my brain. It was a slow and winding process from there. I'd ball my way through a homework challenge from my psychiatrist to eat a donut one day, then eat a bowl of ice cream the next with very little stress. Eventually, though, I began to notice good days of eating slightly more and feeling a bit brighter than the day prior became more common than they were. My weight rebounded to 100, then to 110, And while it took more than a decade for my period to return to normal, each passing year, I'd feel a bit more at home in my body. About three years later, my psychiatrist eased me off antidepressants, and I slowly scaled back on therapy appointments as I made my way through college. After graduating from college and completing a 10-year shift in the corporate world, I decided to become an entrepreneur of sorts, and I'm a full-time freelance writer today. At age 33, I find myself jumping out of the bed each morning, excited to learn something new from the experts I interview, the studies I comb through for additional context, and the food I devour, yes really, in my work as a food writer to support local businesses. One of the key elements to regaining my emotions and finding peace and joy in my bones was finding passions and pursuits outside of myself. First, I found joy from contributing to the world. Then later, I found joy by being myself within it. I'll readily admit that every so often, moments of self-doubt or body criticism do pop up in the back of my mind. For me, I think I'll be in a continual state of recovery for my whole life. But what differs now is that I'm so happy with who I've become and how I show up in the world that I don't wanna go back. I can flag those thoughts as vestiges of my eating disorder and call them out as such so I don't allow them to control my actions. I'm well aware that there will likely be days ahead during which I'll feel a little down or a little puffy, but now I think to myself in those moments, goodness, I sure am lucky to be alive. I have so much to live for, be grateful for, and be joyous about. And goodness, food sure tastes delicious. There will be great days ahead and there will be not so great ones but experiencing my eating disorder and being open about the challenges along the way has taught me that many more of us are working on overcoming mental and emotional challenges of our own, either publicly or privately. So when in doubt, I try to give myself and others grace, imagining there might be more going on under the surface than I'm aware of.
0: Thank you, Carla. You can read more stories just like Carla's on the stories page of the Make It Okay website find it at makeitokay.org/iowa Eating disorders and depression, like Carla has experienced, are common. Here to tell us more about these conditions is Dr. Joyce Vista Wayne with Mercy One.
2: Hello. My name is Dr. Joyce Vista Wayne, and I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Mercy One in Des Moines. The more we understand about mental illness and common conditions, the more we can talk about it, reduce stigma, and make it okay. I am here today to share some common signs and symptoms and treatments for two conditions you just heard about, anorexia nervosa, which is a type of eating disorder, and major depression. Anorexia nervosa is an eating disorder characterized by restriction of energy intake leading to low body weight, fear of gaining weight, or behavior that interferes with weight gain, and self-evaluation that is unduly influenced by weight and body shape. Denial of the seriousness of the disorder by the affected individual presents a big barrier to getting early diagnosis and treatment. It is a common medical illness with 200,000 cases in the United States diagnosed per year. Women are more likely than men to develop the disorder, Death is due to medical complications of starvation and co-occurring depression-associated suicide. The cause of anorexia nervosa is likely multifactorial and precipitated by the interaction of several risk factors. Aside from biological and psychological factors, environmental, cultural, and the pressures of society related to thinness and appearance have been identified as triggers to extreme dieting in vulnerable individuals. Early recognition, treatment, and support leads to more favorable outcomes. Primary care providers are trained to screen for eating disorders and can make the referral to mental health professionals who have the clinical expertise to diagnose, evaluate, and treat the affected individual. Treatment usually requires a team approach, including individual therapy, family therapy, a primary care physician who works with a nutritionist and a psychiatrist who manages medications if needed. Many of those with a disorder also suffer from other problems, including depression, anxiety, and substance abuse, so it is essential to recognize and obtain appropriate treatment for these occurring disorders as well. Major depression is a common and serious medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and how you act, and for some can interfere and impair functioning at home, school, and society. It is the most common co-occurring diagnosis with eating disorders. In 2017, there were 17 million adults in the United States diagnosed with at least one major depressive episode with more women diagnosed than men. It may occur at any time, but on the average, first appears in late adolescence to the mid-20s. The American Psychiatric Association reports that it affects an estimated one in 15 adults in any given year and one in six people will experience depression at some time in their life. There is a high degree of heritability when first degree relatives have depression. Half of those diagnosed are likely to experience a recurrent episode sometime in the future. It may come soon after or not for many years. It may or may not be triggered by a life event. Depression symptoms can vary from mild to severe and include feeling sad or having a depressed mood in adults or irritability in children and adolescents, loss of interest or pleasure in activities once enjoyed, changes in appetite, weight, sleep, energy, an increase in purposeless physical activity or slowing of movements and speech, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, difficulty thinking, concentrating or making decisions, and thoughts of death or suicide. In contrast to normal sadness and grief where emotions ebb and flow and respond to input and changes, depressions tend to feel heavy, constant and inconsolable. Fortunately, it is among the most treatable of mental disorders. Between 80 and 90% of people with depression will eventually respond well to treatment and almost all patients gain some relief from their symptoms. A wide variety of treatments have been proven effective in treating depression. Some involve talking and behavioral change. Others involve taking medications. There are also a number of things people can do to help reduce the symptoms of depression on their own, such as regular exercise, getting enough quality sleep on a regular basis, eating a healthy diet, and avoiding alcohol, which is a depressant, as this can reduce symptoms of depression and create positive feelings and improve mood. With timely and proper diagnosis and treatment, the vast majority of people with depression will overcome it. If you or someone you know is experiencing symptoms of an eating disorder and or depression, do reach out to a loved one, a family member, a friend, a support person, or your primary health care provider so you can get the help that you need and deserve. Thank you very much for listening. Be well.
0: Thank you, Dr. Vista Wayne, for helping us better understand these conditions, and a special thanks to Mercy One for providing the segments from your mental health care experts. While mental illnesses are common and treatable, many people are still afraid to talk about mental illness due to shame, misunderstanding, negative attitudes, and fear of discrimination. The goal of Make It Okay is to end the stigma. To learn more about Make It Okay, visit makeitokay.org/Iowa for resources, including tips for talking about mental illness, and links to become a Make It OK ambassador or get your workplace involved. We've also got links to mental health support and crisis lines if you or someone you know is struggling with a mental illness. Want to help us stop the stigma? Take the online pledge to Make It Okay. You can find it at makeitok.org backslash Iowa. Thank you for listening to this episode of Make It OK Stories, the podcast. Please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. Together, we can make it okay. This podcast is supported by Business Solver.